You guys can be seated. Good morning. Will you just, will you just look at someone and say, hey, I'm so glad God's here. Just look at someone and say, hey, I'm just glad God's in this space. I'm glad God's here. Have you ever heard the phrase, return on investment? I don't know what it is, but I think it's about stocks. You invest in stuff, you know, you buy stock. I've never bought stock before. I don't know where you get it. I'm sure Target or Whole Foods sells it. But I know that the idea is you like invest in a company or you buy stock and the hope is I'm gonna invest now in hopes that I get a greater return on my investment later. Is that, does anyone know what stocks are? Is that how it works? A little bit of blind faith in that, right? Like, oh, the projections are this. So if I give a little now, I might get a lot later. Right now, where this church is in this season, we need investors, We need people mature beyond their years that go, I'm gonna sow into this church community and I'm not gonna be greedy. I'm not looking for a return on investment tomorrow. I'm trusting that the more I sow into this community, the more I selflessly love my neighbor, the more I stand up out of my traditional row, walk over to someone I haven't met yet and make sure they feel welcome, maybe even go to lunch, maybe even provide some emotional or physical needs they may have. Like the more I invest, eventually, promise you, I will see a Holy Spirit return on investment. Like eventually, Acts 2 where they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, they broke bread together, they sold their possessions and took the profits and gave it to anyone else in the church that had need, that eventually what happened is the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. We will see a return on investment. But as I was praying for you guys this morning with the worship team in the back, I just felt this like, it's gonna take some blind faith out of us. My church family invests in each other, selflessly serve each other, invest in friends that you don't seamlessly get along with right off the bat, but choose to get to know their differences, love their differences, and find a common bond in Jesus. And over time, I'm telling you, this church will be a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. This church is here to be a light in a dark world. If you don't know this, you're in a dark world. That is a fact of scripture. And the church is designed to be a light. How nice is it to have light when it was dark? (laughs) Isn't it nice? It helps you see, right? You ever been fumbling around the dark and just stubbed your toe? How awful is stubbing your toe in the dark? What'd you need? Light. Jesus is going, that's you, church. In a dark world, you're the one that's gonna be the body of Christ that gives people guidance, that helps them know their next step, helps them know their love, helps them learn how to build a family that loves each other, that blesses the culture. Like, but it's gonna start with a few that have the wisdom and the maturity to invest in this church even when it's not yielding fruit in the immediate. So if Jesus is your Lord, if you have surrendered your life to following Christ, 
and you're thinking about or you've already made Hillsborough Village Church home, let's ask God, God, give me the maturity to operate in this church in blind faith. That if I'll continue to invest, that one day these 25-year-olds will be 35-year-olds with kids. And one day those kids will be grown adults. And they'll be more robust and more in love with you than I ever was. And they'll be a bigger blessing to this city than I ever was. And I'm hoping to be a pretty big blessing to this city. That they'll see more salvation pass through their hands than I ever did. And I'm hoping I see plenty of salvation pass through my hands by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's vision. I'm rambling. Happy Father's Day. Family is the cornerstone of any culture worth its salt. Mothers and fathers, you are immensely important. Everyone here has a mom and a dad, whether they know them or not, whether it was healthy or not. Moms and dads, you are so important. And so to my fathers that have chosen to make Jesus their Lord and have chosen to selflessly lay their life down for their wives and their kids, thank you. We honor you. What you do is so important. All right, my name's Joshua, I'm the pastor. We've been in Philippians, the series is called To Live as Christ, and God is doing something in this church. Do you know this? Is everyone aware? Are you aware? If this is your home, will you just nod your head yes or no if you're aware? He's moving in here, man. I mean, he's percolating. He's simmering in my heart. You know what I'm saying? He's wanting to bubble up, burst forth. What's that spring in Montana or something? The old faithful. Man, he's doing an old faithful thing in us. You know, it's gonna be awesome. All right. So last week we were in Philippians chapter two and we read verses one through 11. In verses five through 11, I mentioned this briefly. We didn't explore it like super intensely, but it's supposed to be, it may be, it's widely believed to be the first Christian hymn in history. And we talked about how, you know, they didn't have a New Testament scripture at this time. And so verses five through 11 might've been like one of the only devotionals they knew. And they probably just would've sang this song at every church gathering. Anyone ever had a worship song that you're like, hey, can we move on? You called me out upon the water, spirit lead me. We get it, all right? Oceans, let's, let's go to a different body of water, you know? I imagine that was this hymn for them. Like, it told the story of Jesus. Jesus, who considered equality with God, nothing to be grasped, took on human flesh, was a servant who walked among us, became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow, every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And the hymn ends on this day of Christ, that classic day of Christ where we stand before the physical Jesus that Paul is always so aware of when he's talking to the Philippians. He's like, man, we ain't just doing this to feel good. We're gonna stand before Christ, all right? You better be ready. Paul understands, you and I are gonna stand before the physical Jesus and we're gonna rub our hands across his scars and go, oh my goodness, it's real. We're gonna hug his chest. We're gonna look at those sweet, sinless eyes and know it was all worth it. Paul's going, man, this is gonna happen, y'all. Be ready. We're covering two verses today, verses 12 and 13. And the word that starts verse 12 is therefore. If any of you went to like an old school Baptist church, your pastor said, anytime you see the word therefore, ask yourself, what is it there for? That's actually helpful because what it's saying is, 
hey, if you see therefore, why don't you go ahead and reread what you just got done reading because it's very connected to what comes next. So Paul's going, we're gonna all confess Jesus is Lord. He's gonna reign forever. We're gonna be with him in eternity. Therefore, if we could have a volunteer to read Philippians chapter two, verses 12 and 13, let's hear what comes next. Would someone be willing to read that out loud for us? We've been doing this every week. Yeah, Avery, come on. Mm. If you're taking notes, today's conversation is called Fear and Trembling. It's chill. I figured it was Father's Day. We take it light. We're gonna talk about salvation being worked out with fear and trembling. And I wanna start with point number one being the onus of obedience. The onus of obedience, which if you don't know what onus means, I like that word, it sounds good. And it starts with O, just like obedience. So therefore, here we are. Therefore, here we are. (laughs) Onus really just means personal responsibility, all right? Paul is handing us the personal responsibility of obedience. He says, therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, all right? Basically, Paul's saying, hey, don't let my presence be the primary source of fuel in your faith journey, right? Like, in fact, now that I'm gone, I hope it all goes up tenfold. Like, I hope you have more courage. I hope you have more boldness. I hope you have more compassion to your neighbor. I hope you're living more generously. I hope you're discovering things about God that I never could have told you. Just because I'm not there doesn't mean anything's got to go down. Like, it can actually, it don't even got to stay neutral. Like, I hope your obedience climbs. I hope you discover things about God that I never could have showed you. But Paul's aware of the, the human conundrum. When the authority's not in the room, what does the room do, you know? Like, when the teacher or the parent or the counselor or the police officer, if you have a testimony like mine, isn't there, what does it leave you with? Remember being in second grade with Miss Linda Schmidt. Yep, mouthful. I remember one time, I, this is, I think, other than like recess on the tire swing, this is the only memory I have of second grade. She walked out of the classroom And I knew this was my moment. And so I stood up and I said, fellow classmen, while Ms. Lindeschmidt's away, we don't know how long we've got. I want everyone to get out your math textbooks. We're gonna go over chapter three. And with everything in me, by the time she gets back, we will be smarter than when she left the room. No, that's not what I did. I stood on my desk and started dancing and doing like a little second grade stand-up routine, which was most likely incoherent and not funny but the class did like it. I specifically remember some giggles. And then I remember her coming back, and I don't remember what happened, but I know she wasn't approving of me. I do know she was upset with me, right? That's kind of what happens when you're in elementary school and the teacher leaves, right? That's not a time to behave, (laughs) okay? Um, I remember going to college. Some of y'all felt this in college. You got to college, got in your dorm room, and then suddenly realized, who's the boss of me anymore? Right, like, I got real freedom. 
you're just adult enough to make your own decisions and not adult enough to appreciate the consequences of those decisions. Isn't college beautiful? What a beautiful disaster that is. 19-year-olds thinking they're independent adults. It's awesome. Or maybe you've experienced this when your house church leader texts the group text and was like, hey, can't be there this week, but I, I'd love for you guys to meet anyway. And then someone else in the group text says, oh, we're gonna meet. Let's all pray and worship and intercede for each other. No. Oh, actually, I'm out too. Just coincidentally, since the house church leader's out, I also can't make it. And someone else, and then the momentum happens, and then what happens? House church leader, let us know when you're coming back. And then we'll have house church. Anyone ever been a part of that group text? Are you guys lying? That happens to my group text every time I can't be there. Anyway, all right. <laughs> for a lot of my life, who, who's in my house church that knows that? I'm kidding. Hey, Clay, love you. Um, for a lot of my life, who I was when the authority figure left the room, whether literally or metaphorically, was a threat to my well-being because I was, I was greedy. I, just, I, I liked making decisions that um, didn't have a lot of vision or wisdom or maturity in them. I like to feel good. I like to chase things that make me feel good in the instantaneous and give me regret for the next few years. And this was just my instinct. Maybe you're not like me, but I do think Paul's aware of this instinct. Hey, the guy that planted this church has been pastoring and discipling, I'm now gone. And there's gonna be this instinct in you to like dial back. But guys, like the living God's in you. Rather than dial back, ask yourself, man, what ground is God inviting me to take right now? The living God's who did all this. Like maybe I planted the seed, maybe I watered it, but it's God that's in charge of your growth. Like take advantage. And the truth is who you are when the teacher's not around or who you are in the private places, in the secret places of your life is not intended to be a threat to you. It's intended to be a gift to you. And I was reminded, I was thinking about Paul's invitation here that, that it was the Holy Spirit that called Jesus into the where? The wilderness. It was the Holy Spirit that said, Jesus, come away where no one can see. Spend 40 days fasting and praying with the Father. The truth is, according to scripture, who you are when no one's looking is intended to be a rich gift from God to your soul. There are good things to be found. We live in a culture where secrecy is where we hide the things we're ashamed of, but the Bible actually lays a framework where it goes, man, no, it's in the wilderness that you'll be fortified. It's in your place of solitude that you'll be rejuvenated if you'll only take advantage of the Holy Spirit that's been given to you. It's really powerful. In Matthew chapter six, Jesus, who says everything on purpose, does everyone agree that Jesus, what he says is on purpose? He meant every word. He's not like me, the external processor that I mentioned last week. 30% of what I say I don't mean, just have to say it to figure out that I didn't mean it. Everything Jesus says comes with this weight of intentionality. Three different times he says this thing. Don't show anyone. He says, hey, when you give, when you give generously, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And your father who sees you in secret will reward you. Hey, when you pray, don't pray out loud thinking you'll be heard for your many words. Go to your room, shut the door, pray in secret, and your Father who sees you will reward you. Hey, when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, look healthier than you've ever been. Don't tell anyone, oh man, I've been fasting for six hours. This is harder than it looks. <laughs> All for the glory of the Lord. Like, don't do that. 
Do it in secret, and your Father who sees you will reward you. Here's the truth, church. There is a treasure for your soul that is waiting for you in your private places of obedience. When Joshua's not around, when your house church leader's not around, when your Christian friend that's like pretty Christian isn't around, there's something that the Father has designed for you and only you, and that you'll only find in the places of private obedience to the Lord. Something that most of us, if I had to guess, underestimate is the private adventures God wants to bring you out on. Here's a pro tip. Go tell someone about Jesus and don't talk to anyone else about it. And after you tell them about Christ, go talk to God about how awful or amazing it went. And then just ask the Lord, what are you teaching me? What did I learn? What are you showing me? Here's another pro tip. Go give too much money to someone you know needs it. Like you look at your budget and go, I can give this much and give a little bit more than that. Give it to them. Say, I love you. God bless you. You were on my heart. And don't tell anyone else about it. Then go in solitude and rejoice with the Lord that the blessing of God passed through your hands. Watch what the Holy Spirit will fortify in your soul. I had one more. Oh, last pro tip. <laughs> really, I should call them amateur tips. I'm not a pro. So that last amateur tip. Go on a prayer walk around the Ruby sometime this week or this month. Intercede on behalf of this church. Lord, what are you doing in this church? Use this church. We wanna see salvation in this church. We wanna bless each other in this church. How do you wanna use me in this church? Go intercede and don't tell anyone you're doing it. Because here's what's happening. You're gonna build this secret love language before you and the Father. There is a dialogue that God wants to establish between you and the Father that knit you together in your mother's womb. And it can only be discovered in the areas of private obedience. Does that make sense? I wanna move on because there is a threat of tangent in this sermon at every corner. <laughs> like, I'm worried. <laughs> Number two, let's dive into this fear and trembling. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Let me go ahead and disclaim it. This is not earn your salvation. The same writer that wrote work out your salvation with fear and trembling also wrote in Ephesians chapter two, for by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. It is not a result of works so that no one can boast, okay? So Paul can't make it any plainer than that. You do not earn your salvation. You could never do it. You haven't done it. Jesus bought it with his blood. That's how you get it. It's more, let salvation complete its journey in you. It's more an instruction of, hey, respond to the grace and the gravity of your salvation appropriately. Respond according to what it's done and accomplished in your soul. Let's break down fear and trembling. Fear, think of the words like terror or respect or reverence. A picture that came to my mind this morning, don't know if it's gonna work, but it's like handle with care. Like if someone said, this diamond is worth $600 million and put it in your hands, you wouldn't be like, oh, no way, this thing? You ever do the ball thing where you flick it off your forearm, catch it again? Oh, no. You, know? you wouldn't do that. You'd be like, hey, can you take this back? 
Like, you know, it's like, ah, how is this little, you know? Fear, like, ah, this is priceless. This deserves my care. I'm being very careful with every move because of the priceless nature of this diamond, right? I don't know. Trembling, it means quaking. It means literally shaking in your boots. I mean, that's what it is. And uh, in my teaching meeting on Thursday, my friend Lucas gave me a really, a, I thought a really helpful picture. And I put it up here. It's this picture of a hike. It's called Angel's Landing. This is the best picture I could find that helped you understand what's happening here. It's kind of known to be the most, like, one of the more dangerous hikes available to you in the U.S. And in most places, there's a place to grab something. But typically on the other side, there's just this massive drop-off that, you know, if you didn't step right, you would die. And that's just how it is. And so there's kind of simultaneously on this hike, this awe and wonder. Wow, look at the view. There's so few places on earth like this. It's taken my breath away. And at the same time, proceeding with caution, knowing that every step is of dire consequence. To step appropriately on the rock means you're alive. To step in the wrong direction means your life is over. So every step matters. I think that's an appropriate picture for trembling. It's not just this fear of the cosmic backhand of the Lord, but it is this like, Every step should matter. In your name, Jesus, you're very important. <laughs> like, you are of highest priority. Everything else juxtaposed to you, child's play. And I felt this invitation to remember the holiness and the power of God. I was reminded of Exodus 3, burning bush. If you haven't read this story or heard of this story, there's a bush that's on fire, but it's not being consumed by the fire. Very mysterious, as fire typically destroys whatever it consumes. This man named Moses sees it, hears a voice call out, Moses, Moses, don't come near. How's that for the God you worship? Moses, don't come near. Um, first, take your sandals off. Why? You're on holy ground. What made the ground different? God was there, that's it. I'm here, that ground's holy, shoes off. Show in the physical what is true in the spiritual. This is a holy moment. God is here. In Exodus chapter 32, oh, wait, wait, I want to say this too. I remember one time shaking Justin Bieber's hand. That's true, I did. No one? Am I too old? 10 years ago, girls would have been like, <gasps> no, Biebs, I did. He was 12, shaggy hair. He had a purple bandana hanging out of his pocket. What, a, what was that about? I don't know. There was a girl beside me that was like totally and beyond distraught, weeping, like everything but gnashing of teeth, just ah! <laughs> and just I like almost passed out. And I was just like reminded of celebrity culture, how some of us feel when we think about going to Bridgestone to see Taylor Swift, or maybe she was at Nissan. I don't know what she did. I don't know her. But celebrity culture, like you all probably have at least one person that if like you ran across them on 12 South, you'd be like, okay, okay, okay. I am like beside myself. I just thought about like, no, hey, God is not your favorite celebrity. <laughs> He's not the president. He's not the rich. He is altogether different. Being in the presence of God is being in the presence of the one who spoke the son into existence as a very minor detail in the vast creation of all of existence. 
That's the living God. In Exodus 32, Moses has a bold request. Please, God, show me your glory. God responds, I will make my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, and I'll be gracious and I'll show mercy on whom I'll show mercy. But you cannot see my face. Why? For man shall not see me and live. Moses is like, Lord, man, I feel like we're on good terms. I love you. Show me your glory. He's like, I would, it'd kill you. Okay, Acts chapter five. Now where Jesus is already resurrected. So now we're in soft, cuddly Jesus time, right? Oh, it's grace on grace. It's all good. He's chill. Jesus is my homeboy for sure. And there's this couple named Ananias and Sapphira. And the church is experiencing miracles of the spirit. Everyone's selling their possessions and giving every penny they get from what they sold to give to the needy. Ananias and Sapphira want to present as if they've done the same thing. On its face, it's very generous. They've sold their property and they've brought an offering before the disciples' feet. What they haven't told anyone is they've secretly withheld some of the money. So it's not that they weren't being generous, it's just that deceit was in their spirit. They wanted everyone to think we sold it all and then we gave it all away. But the truth was they held some for themselves. Peter says to them, you have not lied to man, you've lied to the Lord. Ananias, the husband, falls dead. Sapphira wasn't there. She comes back three hours later. They give her a little interview. Hey, explain the gift you gave. She lies just like her husband. She falls dead. Welcome to church. <laughs> Peter calls, uh, or, then it says, and great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. There is such thing as a righteous reverence. There is such thing as, I don't worship a God who just would wipe me out dead, but he could if he wanted to, and I couldn't debate it. He's that holy. He's beyond my logic of justice and righteousness. Facts. When Jesus resurrects, Mary Magdalene and Mary, mother of James, and Salome are coming to bring spices to anoint the body of Christ. They come, the tomb is empty, the thousands and thousands of pounds stone has been rolled away. A man in white says, don't be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified, he has risen. And they went out and fled the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them. There is an appropriate trembling when you've experienced the power of God. Last one, 1 Corinthians chapter two, Paul explains his ministry like this. When I came to you, brothers and sisters, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech and wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and fear and trembling. And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. Why? So that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul ministered out of fear and trembling going, wouldn't it be laughable if I thought the eloquence of my speech could help you understand the God of infinity? Let me break that down for you on a whiteboard, right? There's this appropriate fear and trembling about an infinite God of infinite consequence. Philippians is reminding us that salvation is a free gift, not a cheap gift. 
and how worlds apart those two things are. Paul is urging us to work out our salvation, not underestimating or devaluing that salvation. We live in the era of greasy grace, cheap grace, easy grace, down to fit your agenda grace. It's all good, grace. Rebel as much as you want, grace. Willfully sin against the perfect God that saved your life, grace. We're not the first ones. You know something our generation needs to hear? You're not the first ones, you're not. To think that, feel that, want that, desire that, you're not. Romans 6, the Romans are having the same tension. Well, if grace is forever, then what's the consequence of sin, really? Grace is always there. Paul says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? When I baptize people and you're underwater, I do this very quickly so you can breathe soon. Dead to sin. That's the burial of Christ you're being buried with. Dead to sin, out of the water, alive in Christ. Do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. Beware of the greasy grace era. I'll take the grace, I'll decline the holiness. I'll take the grace you died to give and also kind of pass on obeying your commands. I'll take the grace and choose which parts of the Bible apply to me. I'll take the grace and choose my morality for myself. In other words, thank you, Jesus. I've got it from here. That's the message. Paul's saying, work out your salvation more carefully than that. (laughs) Use more caution than that. Grace covers every sin you have ever done, are currently doing, and will ever do, a fact that you cannot change. You have been purchased. God calls you daughter, and he means it, and he will never change his mind. God calls you son, he means it, he will never change his mind. We are forever the prodigal, he is forever the father, sprinting off the porch, hugging our chest, throwing a party because the kid has come home. That is forever true. It's just not cheap. And it shouldn't be handled carelessly. So my invitation to you, Eat Those HV, is to join me in praying for a resurrection of reverence. And it starts with us. We need a people that revere the Lord, that understand his ways are not my ways, they are infinitely higher. More than any philosopher, clinical psychologist, or politician could ever say, that reclaim the God surrounded by clouds, thunder, and lightning, whose name we are not worthy to utter, whose sandals we are not worthy to untie. We cannot casually be Christian followers of a God of eternal consequence. We cannot do it. We cannot perpetuate a casual or cultural Christianity in this church. It is not allowed. The casual, the cultural, the lukewarm Christian is a bitter taste in the mouth of a holy God according to scripture, Revelation 3.16. To be bought 
by the blood of God is no small thing. And you've been bought by the blood of the Lord. We need the grace and the mercy of Christ to protect us from the pervasive cultural Christianity that is more commonplace than a true and sincere Christianity. That is happening, that is your reality right now. I am first in line. I was sitting with a friend on my porch just this week. Just coincidentally, I'm preaching on this, and so thank you. He has chronic back pain. It is not chill. All back pain is not created equal. This dude is straight, 10 out of 10, suffering on almost a daily basis. He's been to doctor after doctor, had surgery after surgery. It, it will not go away. He sleeps for two to three hours a night because of it. Naps throughout the day to catch up every day. This dude's ministry is so wild. I've watched him for years pour his life out for young men. He'll sit in his living room and pray for hours for the men he's ministering to. Women too, but his main ministry is to men. Now he's married and they're getting it done every angle. He was just telling me some stories of where he's seen God over the last five years, the salvation, the power of testimony around him, how he met people and where they are now. And I had no idea, I know some of these people and they are like some of the most stout, like influential, like you get around them and you're like, I probably need to love Jesus more. Even if you're just playing spike ball with them, you're like, man, I need to worship harder. How did that happen? And you beat me in spike ball. Like this, none of this is, this is really weird, you know? <laughs> I don't like losing in spike ball, that's why I said that. I would lose and still feel like the Lord, okay. <clears throat> And uh, as he was talking and testifying about where he's seen God in his life, it, it made me think of like when you sit around a fire in the fall or the winter and you put your hands to it and you realize when you put your hands close to the fire, oh, my hands were really cold before this moment. <laughs> as your fingers almost start to hurt as they go from cold to warm, you know, that numbness starts to wear off and like, it almost hurts. That's how I felt in my faith around this man. I was like, God, is he is just casually uttering the, this powerful testimony of where he's seen your hand move through him to bless the men and women around him, where he's seen salvation pass through his hands by the power of your spirit. I am right now being reminded I am not working out my salvation with fear and trembling. I love preaching, y'all. I know this is a piece of the pie. I love meeting with you guys over coffee and lunch. I know that's a blessing. I know I'm, I'm being obedient in those moments, but that's just a piece of it. There is a calling on my life as a son of God, not as a pastor, a husband, a father, as a son of the most high God, there is this calling. The harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. Will you be a laborer? In your private obedience, will you work out your salvation with carefulness, for whose sake, no one's but God's. Don't care who the audience is. You got an audience of one. And as he was talking, I was like, man, I haven't led someone to the Lord in too long. I haven't been generous with someone when no one saw it in way too long. I have forgotten about the private adventures Holy Spirit wants to take me on. God wants to build stories with me that bond me and him together. They go, man, you really are closer than a brother. You really do stick with me through thick and thin. 
man, I just felt this reverence of like, God, I don't wanna take it lightly that you spilt your blood for me. And even as I pastor a church, I'm pretty sure I'm doing it. This is why sometimes when you're praying, it helps to hit your knees and bow your head and show in the physical. Like when you get on the ground and you bow your head, you're just saying like, I'm in the presence of someone I'm unworthy of. And only by your grace do I get to walk in your presence without the fear of death. Only by your grace do I get to call you friend and Lord and Father, God, I love you. I acknowledge in the physical, you are greater, Lord. You are amazing. And I physically posture myself in awe of your wonder. If you want your prayer life to go up a notch, try bowing and putting your head to the ground and showing God in the physical, there is no one like you. I ain't doing this to any of my friends. I'm not bowing my head and getting on the ground all weird for you guys in just a random social situation. Only you get to see me do that, Lord. Lastly, Paul wraps it up with this. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I know I've been preaching for a while. I'll go through this quickly. Hang with me. It's God who does this. We just waited through a pretty heavy piece of like, okay, okay. Some of you are like, the burden feels heavy right now. Salvation, I'm unworthy. He's holy. He's powerful. He knocked people dead. Like, okay, I get it. Okay. And Paul goes, no, 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 no. Like, Work it out with fear and trembling, but in the other hand, hold them at the same time. God does this. John 15, when I leave, I'm gonna send a helper. The Holy Spirit, the helper, the comforter, the spirit of truth. All of this comes back to the grace of God. And the character of God is on the side of his kids. So if you wanna figure out how to work out your salvation in fear and trembling, come before the Lord and acknowledge him as your helper your comforter, your father. The spirit of truth is in you and will guide you how to walk this road. Jesus promises us, come to me if you're weary. Learn from me. My burden is easy. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. I promise you I'm gonna help you do this. I'm actually gonna help this be weightless. For time's sake, I'm gonna fast forward to the last thing. My invitation is twofold to our church today. First is on the individual level. The other one's for this church family. On the individual level, I think we just start with going, God, will you just like increase my awareness of your holiness? Teach me what it means to be reverent. Teach me what it means to like walk with you and revere you and, and, and to work out my salvation with fear and trembling. God, I'm gonna be honest, the nuance of it's by grace, but it's of eternal consequence. Like, I don't know how to do both of those. He'll help. And give yourself like the rest of your life to figure out this balance. God's cool with that. His patience is unending. So, you know what I'm saying? It's not easy. But I think this starts in your inner closet going like, Lord, help me to appreciate the grace and the gravity of my salvation. For HV, I think what I 
what I felt for our church family is just acknowledging a very simple concept. This is a holy place. That when we gather together, the presence of God's here, very simply. And Father, will you increase our like very real awareness that you're here? And that when I see someone, I'm seeing someone that you're invested in, that your spirit is actively involved in. And teach me to think this way. Teach me to take advantage of your holiness, of your Holy Spirit's activity in this church family. Father, I'm here, I'm yours, have your way. Simple prayer. That's why I was so turned up in worship because I had been thinking about this sermon this whole time. I was like, oh man, that's right, you're here. When college is in session and there's, we're breaking fire code with our attendance, and when it's Father's Day in the summer and we might have 14 people and we might have 150 people. Regardless, the living God's here. He's in you. Starting a sweet little family. Oh, he's so invested. He's in you. Investing in the next generation. Oh, no, tell him what he's trying to work up in your hearts. As you discern your future, he's in it. All of you have a story God's writing and he's working in you and we can take advantage of each other and help each other step into God's story. This is a holy place that the Holy Spirit is working. All right, so we're gonna go to communion. I really fast forwarded that ending. Just know I had like 15 more minutes of content. <laughs> if you thought it was long, it could have went longer. Um, we're gonna go to communion. I'm gonna give us like three minutes to do an individual prayer. And then yes, we are going to circle up and pray together if you're comfortable, okay? So first step, individual, just whatever you wanna talk about with the Lord, I would just invite you, talk about it with God. I give you a little mock-up prayer if you need help, um, and you might, and that's fine. Like, God, just help me to grow in awareness of your grace and gravity. Teach me how to work out my salvation, and really just submit, Lord, have your way. Tristan, if you wouldn't mind putting on that, that classic, you know, emotional but not distracting music. Talk to the Lord. He's here, I promise you. He's mysterious, he's invisible, and sometimes he's really quiet, but I promise you he's here.